good question that we're going to answer today. Thank you all for uh, joining us here today. Like I said, the weekend before uh, 4th of July. I hope everyone's got great plans for the 4th of July weekend. But more importantly, I hope we're approaching it and all the days of our life with the information that we've gaining right here in this series called Happy. And for your just, if you're just tuning in today, we're in the finale of a five-part series where we've been learning based on what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever given, how do you be happy in this crazy, messed up, upside down world? And we've learned some very counterintuitive lessons on how to be happy. Okay, we learned that happiness is not necessarily when you're rich, but actually when you're poor, poor in spirit. We learned that happiness is not when you have no pain, but actually when you learn to embrace the pain through mourning. We learned happiness is not necessarily in pleasure, but in purity of heart. And then we saw last week that happiness is not in getting even, but happiness is in letting go and blessed or happy are the merciful. Each of these decisions that we've been talking about for these past four weeks and wrapping up here today, on their own, each decision seems like a bad choice. It doesn't seem like a gain. It seems like I'm giving up more than I'm gaining individually with each of these decisions. However, when you put them all together, you should start to see something taking shape. What would life, a life look like, a poor in spirit, Mourning, meaning embracing the pain versus trying to escape it. Someone who is truly pure in heart, someone who is merciful, and we're going to wrap up today with peacemaker. That would look a lot like the life of Jesus Christ, would it not? Wasn't Jesus poor in spirit, the one who said, I of myself can do nothing? Poor in spirit, admitted he needed, okay, and then accepted that help. And then wasn't Jesus the one who we talked about mourning means not escaping the pain, but embracing and not trying to live a problem-free life, but embracing the pain. Wasn't Jesus the one who said, not let this cup pass for me, Father, yet nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Wasn't Jesus the one, pure in heart, who said, I didn't come to do my own will. I came to do the will of him who sent me. And was it, wasn't Jesus oozing mercy and forgiveness when he stood on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So what you're actually seeing right here is this Sermon on the Mount. This how to be happy is actually not a sermon at all. It's not Jesus preaching at all. It's Jesus simply revealing how he lived his life. And what we said in the very beginning of this series, if you were here, if you don't remember, I'll remind you what we said. We said that we believe with all of our hearts that if we do as he did, we shall live as he lived. And so many people want the peace of Christ, the joy that Christ had, the contented satisfaction they're not chasing after things. Well, I'm telling you, the result that Jesus experienced was based on the work that he put in, the choices that he made. And that's what this series is all about. We're talking about five choices. Happiness is not something that acts from the outside in. It's not when I win the lottery. It's not when this person apologizes. It's not when this problem goes away. Happiness is a choice that I make. It's inside out. And we're talking about five choices that you can make just like Jesus made. And we trust that if we do as he did, we shall truly live as he lived. We saw poor in spirit. We saw blessed are those who mourn. We saw blessed are the pure in heart. And we saw blessed are the merciful. And today, we're going to go Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And we said blessed and happy. These words are interchangeable. Let's read this all together. But let's say it with the word happy this time instead of blessed. Read it with me. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This one's unique. This one is different than all the other Beatitudes that we read so far. Why? What do you notice is different about it? 
What's different from blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. Compare that to blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are uh, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The merciful shall receive mercy. What's the difference? This is the first one that deals not with, if you choose this, I will give you this. That's what the rest of them were. This is the first one that says, if you choose this, you are this. It deals with an identity issue, not a reward or a gift or some kind of something that you receive from God. This one is the first one that says, if you're a peacemaker, which we'll discuss what that means in a second, then you're my son, you're my daughter, you're my child. If that's what Jesus is saying right here, we got to figure out what is this peacemaker issue and why is it such a big deal to him? Once upon a time, there's a story of a dad who had two sons. Dad with two sons, older son, younger son. These two sons were sons, so they misbehaved. And they always misbehaved. And they were rambunctious kids, okay? And this father found himself, the kind of the kids were spiling out of control as they got to middle school and high school, and he couldn't, he couldn't rein them back in. They were getting bad grades. They were getting in trouble at school. They were like misbehaving at home. They were fighting. They were like, you know, you know, disrespecting, you know, authorities, sleeping during the sermon, like the worst of the worst things that you could possibly imagine they were doing. And then finally, the dad said, okay, you know what? I'm going to come up with an incentive system. So I'm going to tell them, if you do these good things, I will give you these rewards. Okay, so you get good grades, you know, you get a dollar. You know, you clean your room, I let you go out with your friends, whatever it may be. You do these good things, I give you these good rewards. And then the flip side, if you do these negative things, I will take stuff away. Okay, if you get in trouble, I'll take away a dollar. If you, you know, you get in fight at school, then you can't go out that weekend, whatever it may be. At the beginning, his system had no impact. Kids were still getting in trouble. And they didn't seem to mind. They were just getting in trouble after trouble after trouble. And they spent most of the time punished. Most of the weekend, they couldn't go out. They had no money. They had no social life. They had no nothing because they just kept getting in trouble. And then one boy, the older son, all of a sudden, something clicked for him. He said, what am I doing? I'm only hurting myself. I want to have a social life. Really what it was is he found a girl that he was interested in. <laughs> okay. So this is, the, this is the solution. By the way, if you have a teenage son, this is the solution for you. You pray that he likes a girl who likes good grades. This is your solution in life, okay? You pray he likes a girl who likes good grades. Okay, this is the easiest way. So this guy liked a girl who liked good grades, and he wanted to be with the girl, but he couldn't leave the house. And then when he couldn't leave the house, he had no money. But he decided, you know what? What am I doing? And he started getting his act together, and he started getting some reward. And he started behaving in the school. He started paying attention to the priest and taking notes during the priest sermon, okay? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like this, and he started doing these good things. He started getting reward after reward after reward. And all of a sudden, the dad is so happy. The younger son, he's not buying it. That's sellout, okay? He's not keeping it real. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and he's, 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 he's dissing his older brother. Who is in most pain watching that younger son throw his life down the toilet? Who's in the most pain? A father, okay? Any parent would agree with this. So what the father does is he goes to the older son and he says, I need your help. I need you to talk to your brother. I need you to help me out. I need you to tell him whatever light bulb moment you had, I need you to share that with him. What would you expect from the older son? 
How many, parents, parents, how many acceptable responses are there to this request to help? How many? I can only think of one. And that response is, yes, sir. Glad to help. Least I can do. After all you've done for me, of course I would help my brother. Of course I'd help my sister. That's the only response that works. What if the son said, no, thank you. I don't want to. I'm busy. It's not my gift. I would help my brother, but that's not my gift. I'm not gifted in that area. I find it kind of awkward. It's kind of intrusive. Not really my thing. How would you as a parent feel about the older son? You as a parent would now be angry at both of your children. Which one would make you more angry, the older or the younger? The older by far, by far. Because the younger one's sin was kind of ignorance. The older one is defiance. The younger one didn't know what he was missing out on. The older one knew and chose to selfishly keep it to himself. And that's why I say for that older one, much worse. Let's forget about that family. Let's talk about this family, family of God. Okay, as a Christian, we are not all alone on this earth. Okay, as a Christian, we believe we belong to something. Being a Christian doesn't mean signing a statement of faith. Okay, how do you join the church? It's not signing a statement, reading a book. That's not what it is. It means I'm part of a family. It means I'm part of something that lasts for eternity with many different parts, but one body and one head. Okay, that's what it means to be part of the church. It means part of Christianity. What is my role in that family? What is my role in Christianity? Well, I say that every one of us as a member of this family, as a member of the Christian family, has two roles and they're equally as important. The first role is a citizen. The second role is an ambassador. In the kingdom of God, I am first and foremost a citizen, and that is my number one duty. But equally as important, I am an ambassador of the kingdom. Citizen is kind of the consumer role, okay? As a member of the kingdom, I am a consumer, and that's not bad, that's a good thing. I'm here to receive forgiveness, receive the grace of God, be filled by his Holy Spirit. I'm here to find healing. I'm here to find people pouring into me. That's not bad. That's very good, and it's important that everyone knows that they're primarily here for themselves. And I need to be here for myself, not even, I'm, I'm saying I'm the priest, I'm saying me. I need to be part of this church family. I need to be, be part of the family of God for my own sake, first and foremost. And as a citizen of this kingdom, I believe that if I abide by the laws of the kingdom, that I will receive the rewards that the king has promised. Okay, so if I abide by the commandments of the scripture and by what God has commanded me, I will receive the blessing, the reward, the promises, etc., etc., etc. It is not bad to be a consumer or a citizen, but it's not complete. You are here for yourself, but you're not here only for yourself. You are here to be filled, but you're not here only to be filled. You are here not just to ride shotgun. You're here every now and then, it's time for you to get behind the wheel, okay? We as a family, we're going on vacation a little bit, okay? And I expect that I'll do some of the driving, but I'll do some of the sitting, okay? And I expect that when my kids get a little bit older, they will do some of the driving, and I'll do more of the sitting, all right? And I expect the same thing in the family of God, is that he who knows how to, who has a license, drive. But everyone should get their license, and everyone should contribute, because you're not just here in the family of God to be the shotgun guy who turns up the radio, you are here every now and then to get behind the wheel and contribute 
not just to be a consumer. Let's look at this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. St. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is the citizen role. Anyone in Christ, he consumer. Okay, he's receiving something. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Absolutely. This is the foundation. You're here first and foremost for yourself. Here, you're something new. You receive something. But then look at the next verse. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So now we're kind of shifting right here. You're a new creation. You've been given reconciliation, but you've also been given the ministry of reconciliation. Explains it more in the next verse. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Each one was given something by God, was given reconciliation, was given peace. Reconciliation means peace in a relationship. Christ made peace between each one of us and God. And now he's asking us to do the same thing. For your neighbor, maybe. For your sister, your brother. Man, it could be for the guy sitting to your left or to your right right now. The same reconciliation that we received he is calling us to go and help share it with someone else. I hope that you have found something great in Christ. I hope and I believe it. I don't believe you'd be here on a Sunday morning unless you have found something great in Christ that brings you here on a Sunday morning. But I also hope that if you have found something great, if you have found the key to happiness, as we've been talking about, I hope that you're willing to share that with your brother who hasn't. Again, back to the story of the dad with the two kids. As a father, let's say I have 10 kids. All right, that tends to be a little bit much. Let's say I have three kids, all right? And, and two of them are great, and two of them are happy, and two of them are getting good grades. So I say, oh, you know what? You know, the odds are in my favor. You know, two out of three is not bad. That's not how a dad thinks. A dad is going for all, and same with God, okay? Again, parents, imagine, let's go with that example, a little bit less funny. Let's be a serious example. Let's say you had three kids. Two of them are perfectly healthy, and one of them is sick, and one of them is always in the hospital, and one of them always struggling. Which one do you think about more in the middle of the night? Which one do you pray more about when you stand to pray? Which one, when you come to liturgy, is the one that's on your heart? The two healthy ones or the sick one? I think God is no different. Let's say God looks at your neighborhood this morning, Sunday morning, July, whatever today is, June 30th. And, and in, in your neighborhood, there he sees three or four cars drive out on a Sunday morning like good people and drive off to church. And God is so happy. Is that what he sees? Or does he see the 10 houses where no car left this morning and nobody went to church? Look at your office building. You look around and you see 10, 15, 20 healthy families, okay? Healthy marriages, healthy families. You think that's what God sees in your office? Or does he see the one who's hiding it, of course, and not proclaiming it, the one whose family is being destroyed by some kind of addiction or some kind of problem? You think God sees and he's just so happy, the 19 out of 20, thank God. Or you think he sees that one? We got 300 people sitting here today in church. This is fantastic. You think God is excited about these seats that are full? He's more worried about those ones that might be empty today. I'm saying as a dad, as a mom, your eyes, your heart gravitates not towards the one who has found happy, but the one who hasn't. That's why the passage ends like this. St. Paul says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See what St. Paul is saying? First, you're a new creation, citizen, consumer. That's the best. That's why you're here. But then secondly, quickly thereafter, you got a job to do, man. You've been given reconciliation and peace, and it is your duty to help share that with somebody else. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible to be a good citizen and not be a good ambassador or vice versa? Go back to my dad example. The dad with the two kids. One son is doing great. He's doing a great job as a son. But if I tell him, you're doing great, now I need you to help your brother, and he says no to that ambassador role, then he's no more a good citizen. You can't be a good citizen without being a good ambassador and vice versa. Clearly, you can't be a good ambassador if you're not abiding by the rules of the kingdom. Same thing is true in the kingdom of God. If I say, I pray, I fast, I church, I tithe, I, I do all, I ministry, I do all those things, but I don't care if my brother or my sister finds peace with God, then you're not a good citizen. Because as a father, if you don't care about the rest of the brothers and the sisters, that's no good. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They're my sons. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're my sons. They're my good sons. They're the ones who are following in their father's, that's the family business. Blessed are the peacemakers because they have taken the keys to the family business. They're continuing the work, which I have started and I have asked them to do. Say it this way. God sent his son, that's Jesus, to make peace between God and man. God is sending his son or daughter, that's you, that's me, to make peace between man and God. God sent his son to make peace between God and man. And now God is sending one of those men, one of those women, now to just go and find someone and make peace between them and God up above. What we're going to talk about today is how to do that. Okay, we're going to talk practical. All right, and what you're going to see is it's not as hard as you may think. Okay, it doesn't require a degree or training or anything like that. It's going to be about how to share what I have been given more than it is to preach about anything like that. But before we get into kind of the how and the nuts and the bolts, and I kind of share some thoughts, I just hope you realize that when, you, when I put this up on the screen, what an honor it is to be in the same sentence as the work and the ministry that Jesus did. What an honor it is that God has chosen me to be his ambassador. You know, if you are chosen by a country to be an ambassador, there is no greater honor because what the country is saying is that you, let's say I'm the ambassador to, you know, uh, to, to Antarctica. Okay, I'm the I can go to Antarctica and I can say, in the name of the United States of America, I speak on behalf of every citizen. I speak on behalf of the president of the United States of America when I'm an ambassador. And God has said about us that we are ambassadors of the greatest kingdom and the greatest king, which is the kingdom of God. I think back to something much dumber. I think back to something much dumber. Remember when we were in elementary school in PE class, okay? And you remember the most horrific and shame-inducing experience when they pick teams, okay? Publicly pick teams and they line y'all up. Can I was the short chubby kid, okay? And of course, you know, and I'm trying to, uh, you know what I mean? But it's always like, you know, they picked that one and then they picked that one and they picked that one. And it's just like, what? there's got to be a better system for this. This is the worst. Well, I'm just imagining right now that that boy didn't pick me and I'm the last guy and I'm the laughing stock or whatever it may be. But I'm thinking that God walks in the PE class and knocks the PE guy out and get out the way. And he says, okay, we're picking teams. I pick you. Like the short chubby guy? Like you pick me? 
yeah, I pick you. You pick, is this like a joke? Is this like, you know, what was it called? A backwards day or, or, or opposite day? Today must be opposite day. No, I pick you. You're on my team. I'm starting an army. I'm building a kingdom. I'm spreading the good news. And I choose you to be on my team. There's a verse that I have. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, okay? And, and whenever someone asks me to like sign a book or sign a something or other, I sign this. I just write 1 Timothy 1, 12, because this is my verse. Is I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. Man, he put me into the ministry. He chose me. Like, let me brag a little bit right now. He chose me. He chose me? Like, he chose me. He knows me, and he saw me, and he chose me. And I'm saying he chose you. And he knows your faults, and he knows your weakness, and he knows your temper, and he knows your bad habits. But he chose you to be part of his team. Same team Abraham was a part of, David was a part of, Elijah was a part of, John was a part of, Peter was a part of, Paul was a part of, me's a part of. I hope you realize the great honor to be chosen by God to be his ambassador. And with that, let's jump into practically. I'm just gonna share just one thing. Of course, this is a, a big topic and you can, I'm not saying there's a right way, but I'll just share one simple way because I'm kind of a simple-minded guy of how practically I could, this great honor that was given to me to be an ambassador of God, how practically I could do that just one way. And I'm gonna go to a passage from Acts chapter one, verse eight. Okay, Acts chapter one, verse eight is kind of the, 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 the central passage when it comes to how to be a witness, all right? Acts one, eight, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Oftentimes I get questioned. People will come to me very well-intentioned. They say, you know what, Father Anthony? I got this atheist guy. How do I make him believe in God? I'm like, that is... <laughs> I got this person in my office who, you know, thinks that we as Orthodox, that we're weird. How do I convince her that we're not? <laughs> I got people who are Christians, but they think that, you know, Christianity, just read your Bible. I don't need to go to church. I kind of do it solo. Like, what do I say? Like, we always want to jump to, like, we're thinking in a sales approach. That's how we think. How do I sell them? Like, what's like the, as if I got like, oh, I'll tell you the page in the Bible that'll do it, but don't tell anybody. Like, we think in terms of salesmen, or we think in terms of debaters. We weren't asked to be salespeople. God doesn't need a marketing department. And if he did, he wouldn't be choosing you or me. God isn't looking for a professional debater to debate their way into people believing. God is looking for us to be what? What, what's, what job did he ask us to do? What's a title? Witnesses. What's a witness? What training do you need to be a witness? Stand up, tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Doesn't that what you should be witness? Say, I am not the smartest person in the world. We've seen the cases on TV. You don't got to be that intelligent to be a witness. All you need to do is say, I stood here. I saw that car run into that person. That's all I know. I don't have a degree. I don't have a job. I don't, have, I don't know anything about anything. That car hit that person on this day at this time. A witness's job is simply to tell a story. That's it. And you are not being asked to debate Christianity. You are not being asked to prove the existence of God. You're not being asked to convince anybody about the tenets of Orthodox Christianity and why it is the, the only way to go. Your job is simple. Tell your story. 
I believe that if you do this citizen thing right, remember citizen ambassador, if you do the citizen part right, if you do the Christianity thing right, if you're doing it right, it is inevitable that someone's gonna ask you about it. It's inevitable that questions are gonna be, are, are gonna rise. And someone's gonna say, hey, why you do what you do? Like how come, for example, how come you won't go out with us on Saturday night? Why is going to church that important to you on Sunday? How come you don't laugh at these certain jokes that we tell? I remember when I was a consultant before I became a priest. Okay, I was not a preacher guy or anything like that. I was a consultant, computer, programmer. Like, I didn't like to talk to people. But by the same token, you know what I mean? Like, I had a fun-loving personality. So I was like the young guy. I was like everyone's younger brother. Okay, we had a good time. We used to laugh and stuff like that. The world was much less stressed back, back in the late 90s there. So I remember, okay, people ask me. People say, hey, Father Anthony. They didn't call me Father Anthony at the time. But they say, hey, Father Anthony. They say, Food comes in this place on Monday, on Tuesday, and you act like you just came out of prison you haven't eaten forever. And you're stuffing your pockets and like, but then it comes in on Wednesday and you say, no, thank you. Why is that? Say, hey, Father Anthony, you like have a good time and joke and laugh, but you never come with us to happy hour. Why is that? Hey, Father Anthony, clearly, you're a handsome guy. <laughs> clearly. Somebody like you, probably six, seven girlfriends. I think you got one on the side here. And I say, no, you know, that's not how we, how we do it. My point is, is if you do Christianity right, if you do it right, it'll raise questions. People will say, what's wrong with you? Why do you do that? Why is that important to you? Why you don't do that? They'll ask you why you're not like us. Let me give you a verse and a quote, okay, to make my point right here. The verse is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. St. Peter was making an assumption when he wrote to the Christians in the first century. Always be ready to give a defense. I, ask, I tell you, always be ready to give a defense. You say, well, hey, no one's asking me any question about anything. But St. Peter's assumption was, if you're living the Christianity thing right, someone's gonna say, why do you do that? Why are you different? Why are you not like us? Why is it so important to you? And St. Peter says, part of the Christian life is to be ready to give a defense for this, okay? If you're not getting asked, then go back to the citizen part and see what's going on. Let me give you a quote here from St. Anthony. St. Anthony the Great said, a time is coming when men will go mad. And when they see someone who is not mad, they will attack him saying, you are mad. You are not like us. I love that quote. And that is a perfect description of the day and era that we live in today. There didn't come a time. St. Anthony said this hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. He said, there didn't come a time where everybody's going to be mad. And you're going to be normal. And they're going to say, you're mad. I say, well, I'm mad because you're not like us. You're different. You're weird. You stick out. And again, if you are living God, if you are living poor in spirit, if you are living merciful, if you are pure in heart, if you are willing to embrace the pain and mourning, you should stand out. If you find contentment in life, listen carefully, and you don't need to chase money, and you're not chasing Friday night pleasure, and you're not looking just for a bigger house, and you say, you know what? I am content. I am satisfied. You will stand out. You will look weird. And people will say, why are you so weird? And that's when you should be ready to share what it is. Let me tell you how not to answer that question. Do not, I can give you lots of them. 
Do not. Just start saying random Bible verses that you heard one time in a sermon. Do not preach. The end is near, man. The end is near. We are supposed to be peacemakers, not trauma makers. Do not call people heathen. Do not tell them about the judgment day. Do not is an important one. No matter how meaningful this story is to you, do not share that crazy story from your aunt or your uncle or someone back home and do not share that story. Someone told me one time. They had this story and they were trying to tell somebody else about how God is real and this was a story they used to prove it. One day, woke up in the middle of the night and it was 2.22. And I went back to sleep, woke up, it was 3.33. I woke up later, it was 4.44. I knew God was real at that moment in time. Another person, another person, young guy. His mom kept telling him, go to church, go to church, go to church. And he was blowing his mom off and I don't know about church, whatever it may be. And then all of a sudden, he says, then in the middle of the night, okay, he was awoken with a vision, okay, about the mother of God, St. Mary, appeared to him and said, you need to go to church. A normal person hearing this is like, this is kind of creepy. So are you saying that your mom called Jesus' mom and got you in trouble with Jesus' mom? Is this like how it works? Everyone's got a crazy story. I'm not saying that I believe in the crazy stories. All I'm saying is you don't share the crazy part on the first date. That's what I'm saying. Okay, you save that for a little bit later down the road. Okay, that's all I'm saying. What's better? What's better? Okay, what's better than all those funny ways that I just said? Follow the before and after model. Follow the before and after model. Earlier, we saw that verse that said anyone in Christ is a new creation. Okay, the word new is all over the place, all right? Christ came to give us a new covenant, all right? He came to give us a new commandment, okay? He says, behold, I make all things new. So in Christ, all things new, new creation. There has to be newness. My question for you is, can you see that newness in your life? It may not be very dramatic, like that I was, you know, an alcoholic and a drug addict. And then I saw, it may not be that dramatic. I don't have a dramatic story like that. But I hope that somehow your relationship with God has made an impact on your life. I hope your relationship with this church has made an impact on your life. I hope that you trying to practice mercy and forgiveness has made an impact in your life. Like everything that we do is to make an impact on our lives. The goal is, Forget the theory, forget the proofs, forget the random Bible verses that you don't know what they mean. Just simply, this who I was before, this who I am now. Imagine I trying to convince you about a diet. Right? There's all these new fad diets, okay? So you, you know, I'm telling you about the keto or the, the, the smoothie, whatever. I saw something, there's a baby food diet out there, okay? People eat baby food to lose weight. For sure, you're gonna lose weight if you eat baby food, okay? You just might as well not eat. There's a dog food diet probably somewhere out there as well. Okay. I'm going to try to convince you about this diet. What do you care about? Do you care about the science behind the... Do you care about who invented it and, and, and the, the, the research and the documentation? You don't care about that stuff. This is who I was before. This is who I am after. This is how big I was. This is how big I am now. This is how much muscle I had before. This is how much muscle I had now. Ladies, 
this is the dress that I never fit in since my wedding day, and this is the dress that I fit in right now. Like, that's all that matters. Give me before and after. Tell me what your life looked like before. Tell me what it looked like after. Let's say I'm going to try to convince you about a counselor, specifically like a marriage counselor or some kind of therapist. What you want to know is simple. You don't care about his degree or whatever. Maybe like those things are important. They all got degrees. Tell me what change did he make in your life? This is where my marriage was before. This is where my marriage is right now. This is where my temper was before. This is my temper is now. I was addicted here. This is how I'm freed here. Tell me before and after. Do you have a before and after with God? Do you have a before and after with the church? Do you have a before and after with the different practices that we're doing? I hope the answer is yes. If not, why are you doing them? If there's no before and after with God, if God hadn't made your life better, what in the world, you're doing something wrong. And again, it doesn't have to be dramatic. It just needs to be sincere. In John chapter nine, there's a famous story about a man who was blind. He was born blind from his birth. From his birth, he was blind. And one day, Jesus comes on the side of that road, comes up to the man, grabs some mud, spits in the mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool. And all of a sudden, the guy came back seeing. And now many people are like, how'd this happen? This is a great miracle. Tell us about it. What's he going to tell them? He said, Jesus did it. And they said, no, we don't believe in Jesus. He said, no, Jesus is the best. How are you going to convince me that Jesus is the best? Are you going to tell me theology? No, let me tell you why Jesus is the best. Are you going to tell me about a vision that you had of St. Mary? Are you going to tell me proofs from the Old Testament? Man, just say one thing, John 9, 25. Whether he's a sinner or not, I have no idea. One thing I know, I was blind, now I see. That's it. Case closed. Mic dropped. That's it. End of the discussion. You can argue what you want about creation. You can tell me I don't believe in Noah's Ark. You can tell me how could the fish swallow Jonah. I don't care. I was blind. Now I see. No one can say anything about that. But that's truth. Mary Magdalene from the New Testament. Demon possessed seven demons. Mary, why is it you love Jesus so much? Why do you follow him around? Why do you believe in him that he's the son of God? What's more effective for her to say, before I found him, I was demon possessed. I was lost. I was hopeless. I had nothing. He gave me everything. Or her to say, at 2.22, I woke up and then it was 3.30. Samaritan woman, why do you love him so much? What difference he made in your life? I think she'd say simple. If you'd have seen how low I was before I met him, then I was despair. I was hopeless. I had nothing to hold on to. And then I met him, and he changed everything. You can't argue with my story. You can't argue with my experience. You know what question I get asked a lot? I get asked a lot, how is it that you became a priest at such a young age? How did you know you were going to be a priest? How you accepted this priesthood thing? My answer is simple. I always say, and it's a stupid answer, and I'm sorry for the stupidity of the answer, but the answer is based on the person giving it. So I say, look, the way I grew up, the way I, I didn't grow up close to God. I grew up one foot in the church, one foot out the church. All right, I was, I was doing everything to, to avoid going to church. I didn't do anything spiritual. Like I wasn't that, that guy who came out the womb. You, know, you, have, you feel like most priests like come out with a beard and you know, like this and you know, like hands lifted high. Not me, okay? I, when I grew up, I saw there was two options in life. You had God or fun. I knew people who had God, they had no fun. I knew people who had fun, they had no God. 
So I see that you had a choice to make between God and fun. So I chose fun. And fun is fun. But then you know what happened? Is life became not so fun. So I said, you know what? Let me try God. And you know what I discovered when I tried God? Is God is fun. And God is more fun than fun. And I discovered, okay, I know that sounds silly, but what I mean by that is I discovered that you don't need to give up your personality to be godly. You don't need to, like, I used to have this thing in my mind that, like, if you're godly, you can't listen to music. You just have to listen to, like, you know, Vesper's praises in the car. Like, you can't ever listen to radio anymore. You can't play basketball, and you can't have fun. You can't have a personality. But I discovered, you know what? God is more fun than fun. And God is the most fun. I even have, like, a little spiritual way, like, a, the word enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Enthusiastic. Enthusiasm. Comes from two words. En theos. En is in. Theos is the Greek word for God. So I believe the most enthusiastic people in life are those who are in God. I don't know if that's the, really the root word, but I'm saying I'm going with that's kind of my story that I'm going with, okay? My point is I discovered, I used to have this idea that a life with God didn't really offer me too much. And then I discovered, in fact, the exact opposite, that a life without God had no meaning and no value, and everything I valued in life was in that life with God. Everything that I valued and everything that I found in God was better than everything that I had outside of God. So you know what? I made a decision at that point in time. I said, I'm all in. I'm going all in, not because I'm such a spiritual or sacrificial, but because I realized that you cannot, it's not just God or fun. Man, it's God and fun. And the people who are in God have the most fun because they have the most smile on the inside. May not may always be smiling on the outside. They shouldn't be smiling on the outside, but at least on the inside, always have the most smile. So I made a decision. I'm never going to say no to God. Anything God asks me to do, I'm going to say yes before he even asks. So he told me priesthood. Yes, sir. Here we go. Because I'm never going to say no because I know that in God, that's the best. That story people have told me, I've given thousands of sermons. People don't remember anything from my sermons. People remember that story. People don't remember any of the Bible examples or all the, the, the stuff that I put up there. People remember stories. And my challenge to you, has you ever, have you ever taken the time to think through your own story? That if I put you up here on stage right now and I said, here's a microphone. Tell me, why is God important in your life? Why does God matter? Why do you get up early to go to church? Why do you forgive? Why is it that you are kind to people who hurt you? Do you have an answer? If not, I'm gonna challenge you to take some time this week to think about it and to come up with an answer. And once you clarify that, again, not complicated, sincere, then you know what? You're ready to be a peacemaker. And you are ready, as Jesus said, to find happiness. Because blessed or happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I'm going to invite our music team. Are they still around here somewhere? Okay, they're going to come up here on stage, and we're going to wrap up this series with a song. But before we do that, let me tell you another story. Imagine. Imagine my son has a disease and he's suffering with that disease and it's an incurable disease and you see him slowly withering and withering and withering and I'm suffering and everybody's suffering and suffering and suffering and suffering. And then you, rocket scientist, cancer researcher, whatever you are, you discover the cure. You discover the cure and you got it in your pocket, okay? You got the serum, okay, like from the movies or whatever it is, okay? You got the serum, okay? And all you need to do is give him a touch of that serum, and he's good. 
but you refuse to share. Because it's awkward. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to come on too strong. Again, not my gift. But then you come to me at my house. Say, Father Anthony, I love you. You're the best. I worship you. I sing to you. Father Anthony is the best. We love Father Anthony. And you're just watching my son die. And you have the cure in your pocket. See, at some point, I love you, God. It doesn't work. I love you. Watch my son die and not care. Like, don't tell me that you love me. I don't care. I don't care. Help my son. That's it. That's how you show me love. It's not caring about me. Like, who me? I'm almost done. But help my kid. But in order to not end on a sad note, let's flip the story. As upset at you as I'd be for not sharing with my son, now let's flip the story. And now let's say you, you're my neighbor, your dog poops on my lawn all the time. I hate your guts. You never, okay, when we're supposed to shovel the sidewalk, okay, like I'm supposed to help you, you're supposed to help me, you like you property line right there, and you never go past that. I hate your guts. And then you heal my son of his disease. That's it. I'm indebted to you for life. As angry as I'd be, if you told me you loved me and did nothing for my son, as much as I would be delighted, ecstatic, made my day, made my year, made my life, that you helped my son when he was in need. And I think of this verse, and then I'll let these guys sing. Matthew 10, 32, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. God has a great reward for peacemakers. God has a great reward for those who share the reconciliation they have received. God has a great, great, great reward for those who look at his children and they make it their goal to help people connect and find peace with God. We're going to stand together now, sing a song, and conclude in prayer. Stand together.
the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, truly you are great, great beyond words that can ever describe. And all of us, Lord, are not worthy to call ourselves your sons, certainly not worthy to call ourselves ambassadors of your kingdom, but you've chosen us, Lord, you, the great and almighty and awesome God, who sent your Son into this world to make peace with mankind, have given us the same, like passed the baton to us, that we could then bring peace to those around us. And it's something that is, is big, and we can't imagine ourselves being useful to you, Lord. But you called us, Lord. You've given us a, a, a small piece of the pie, Lord, and we will be faithful. We will show you that we love you, not just by our words, but by our actions and by caring for those whom you love. We pray, Heavenly Father, all those in our lives who need peace with you and need to be reconciled, and we pray that you'd put their names on our hearts and you'd give us the courage and the boldness to be able to share what small story we may have, but whatever it is, Lord, that you've done in our lives, give us the courage to be able to share it and use it, Lord, to make an impact in some way, shape, or form. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, with the intercessions and prayers of all your saints. Here's as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.